Okay, this is it. He's gonna stop. No, actually, she is gonna stop. Oh, my Lord. She's gonna be a 34-year-old nymphomaniac. And we're gonna go to the Amazon Basin together and water ski. Woo! I think I can handle it. I'm ready. Hi. My name's Johnny Norris. What's yours? Oh, my. Are you a darling-looking lady? I'll pay the tolls. Folks, welcome to the Sin Beef Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Hill. With you tonight is Iris. Hello, hello. How you doing? I'm doing really good today. How about you? I'm okay. It's a nice night tonight, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to stay upbeat, people. But um, also with us tonight, uh, to keep us all upbeat, uh, the queen of the Waniverse. <laughs> Jamie Sammons is here. <laughs> Very funny. Hello, I am so glad to be here. I'm excited to be talking about these two movies. I'm excited to be hanging out with the two of you. So, yeah, good times ahead. I think my biggest problem with the first Conjuring is that Lily, Lily Taylor has always been a non-actress to me. I think she's just fucking terrible. Just, just, just put her on the list of actresses I think that are no good. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I like Lily Taylor, so she's got one mode. That's all she has. It's it's like it's like confused yet fascinated every time. Confused yet fascinated. Yet fascinated. <laughs> I I blame the haunting for, for the, the haunting remake for that. I don't know what it is, but um, yeah, her and Ghost don't do it for me. Oh my gosh! But um, <laughs> we'll start the show. This is we always start the show, and I'm gonna ask Jamie what she's been watching lately. Oh my goodness! Well, today uh, will we watch these movies? Um, <laughs> last night we watched Dolomite is my name, and it's so incredible. It's so so amazing. It's on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it's the story of Ray <coughs> Moore, and as played by Eddie Murphy, which he is phenomenal. I just it was so exciting to have old Eddie Murphy back. Because I just had gotten used to seeing him in all this family stuff. And I'm just like, ah, I miss my hardcore Eddie Murphy. And this movie is so filthy. It's so filthy. I love it. I just, it's, oh, it's so funny. It's so well done. And shout out to Titus Burgess. Like, he is really, I knew him when he was in high school. And uh, he's from Athens. And he is just sailing right up there. He has such a career it's just incredible. So, yeah. Anyway, that was fantastic. Uh, I know, Iris, you've seen it. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Gary, did you see it yet? Let's see here. No, I have not seen it yet, actually. I One of those, uh, it's on the list, you know. All right. I definitely recommend it. Uh, then, of course, we watched a bunch of <laughs> James Wan movies for the Masters of the Wanaverse show that I did for T-Butts. Um, Barbarella. Because we're into our bees as far as our collection is concerned. Another new movie that I had never seen before is, well, it's not new, but I hadn't seen it, is the Norlis Tapes, which was, uh, it was basically Night Stalker, or 
but a different guy, but it was basically that kind of thing. And it was a TV movie. I, I think it was prior to Night Stalker and I had never seen it. So it was actually really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So uh, it's on YouTube. And another B was a Banshee chapter, which holy shit. If you are uh, into stuff like MK Ultra or whatever stories about it, that's what this is. And what's his name? James Gum. What's his real name? Uh, what is his name? Shoot. Anyway, the guy who plays the guy who plays James Gum uh, from you know the the one with the voice. <laughs> um, crap. Anyway, he plays a like a Hunter S. Thompson character, and. It's all centered around MK Ultra. It's just really, really good. Um, and that's it. That's a lot. But we've been busy. Plus, yeah, we actually watched. <laughs> uh, Iris. I've been watching a lot of stuff. Like, I caught, I finally caught up with Westworld. Oh, my God, that is so exciting. Um, finally, finally finished The Witch. I have to say, I really, really like that one. Um, then we went over to Rotten, which is interesting little series on Netflix. Um, then, then I got onto this UFO thing. <laughs> um, I watched Unacknowledged, and then I went back to the, Car- the, the Cloverfield Paradox. So I could watch the other two uh, Cloverfield movies. So I've seen those three all over again. And then Veronica came up in my feed. And I just had to watch it again. Because I really, really enjoyed that one. And uh, how it ends is really good, too. I think that's pretty much it. Oh, and then what happened to what happened, Miss Simone? I love that one, too. So that's pretty much it for me. Let's start calling the show the the Smallville Minute. Because I I watched more Smallville. And, uh... Guys, gotta be get sick of hearing about that fucking shit, but it's still pretty good. And I'm through season six now, so truck it on through. I'll I'll leave it there. Um, <clears throat> I started watching the the second season of Kingdom, which is a Korean va- vampire uh, vamp- uh, zombie show. Um, yes. And um, it, it's on Netflix. Probably one of the best kept secrets on Netflix. They don't promote shit unless it's like Orange is the New Black or something like that. So. You want to watch a Korean zombie show? It's with, with fucking swordplay. Um, yeah, go go watch Kingdom because it's spectacular, and you're missing out. Um, what else? Today, just today before the show, I watched a brand new and a little man may love this, but I watched it first. Grandma, um, Mortal Kombat Legends: Scorpion's Revenge animated film. Okay. Oh, <laughs> this this is um they, they gave Scorpion some backstory in this one. And it is bloody, 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 gory, 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 limbs getting cut off all over this freaking picture, and I loved every minute of it, and my god, it, it, it was really good, and left it open for a, a second part to it, so I'm, I'm, I'm chopping to the bit for when that comes, because this was really terrific, and really violent, very R-rated, so, yeah, Grandma, you watch it first, and then... You see if Little Man should watch it because it's really, really violent and really awesome. Um, what else? Um, there's something else in there, and I 
Mm. Oh, I caught up with uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, the, the, just the latest season, and it's more it's more of the same, and that sounds like insulting, but it, it's not really insulting because it's just Larry offending people, whether it comes to uh, <laughs> the way women's urinals should be or uh, <laughs> trans jokes, and there, there, there's there's some crazy shit this season I, I can't get enough of. There was the, the, the movies for the show, obviously. Um, there's something else I watched I can't recall. I'm going to start writing this stuff down, people, because I'm, I'm terrible at remembering stuff. But um, obviously not as much as Jamie Jamie's plowing through that ABC's list and plowing through, uh, big pun intended, for, for Barbarella because damn, you know? <laughs> damn. Not not Raquel Welch, uh, ten thousand years BC hot, but you know not many things are. It's just hey, I'm sorry, but Jane Fonda is hot. She's hot. She's hot. I'm saying it's she's smoking in that movie. One of them's a little less political than the other one, so it makes my my. Uh... I don't even care. <laughs> like I seriously, yeah. I don't even. It yeah, but, does but, not. But, but that shit makes my dick soft. I'm just throwing it out there, okay? Just, just, just listen to her talk about it. Like, like yeah, just hmm, shut down. Don't think about it. Just look at her. It's hard to think about. It. It's hard not to think about it. And in, in the political climate, you know. <laughs> oh, when I watched, oh, we, I watched. Um, I have to recommend this because it's so stupid and crazy. Uh, the Lake Placid versus Anaconda movie with the NFW guys, and uh, I've seen is, that. <laughs> It's stupid, but it's fun. It's just fun. Just this CG snake twirling around bodies and biting their heads off, and it's just—it's really funny. And um, but the CGI is really bad. Um, yeah, that's that's, that's about it for me. I'm gonna kick it to uh, our next segment, being the beef bitches and mashed potatoes. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't who order fries. Who gets the barbecue beef? Mine's the Duke Deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? I heard that. Iris, what's your beef it on, girl? Wow, man, you know, I'm not... I don't have too many beefs. The only thing... Like, well, kind of like how we were talking about, I just hope everybody's just being safe. And if you're going to go out there, now is the time to start wearing those masks. Because if everybody's going to start congregating, we're going to start spreading this shit. So just, and I know a lot of people don't believe that it spreads this quickly. But let me tell you, been there. It's ugly. You don't want to see that. And you seriously, you don't, you don't want, think about Maybe you might be healthy, but the people around you, like you go see your mom or maybe your your kid, you know, all of a sudden has a cold and stuff. That baby boy, that kid is going to be by themselves in an ICU unit or in an isolation with no mom or dad. You're not going to be able to touch that kid. You don't want to put your kid or your loved ones. So just please, please be careful out there. So what you're saying, the mass orgy is off then? Are you telling me? Yeah, yeah the mass orgy is off. Damn. <laughs> Damn. I was hoping for a good pile, that's all I'm going to say. Not going to happen now. <laughs> God damn it. Jamie, what about you, girl? Um, I, 
I actually decided before I, even, I told Brian before we got before we came on to do the show, I was like, I really don't want to try to pick something to bitch about because I'll just go down this huge rabbit hole. But <laughs> but I will say um, if I go in a different direction, I do have some of you may have seen the picture that I shared of the tree from Stephen King's front yard. Oh, uh-huh, I seen it. It was awesome. And yeah, it was sculpted with a chainsaw and it was Tabitha's idea to do it because they had a dead ash tree in their front yard and they didn't want it to go to waste. They wanted to do something cool with it. So anyway, he posted that and it's just like, love, 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 love. All the comments are great. And then you get the one, the one who's like, well, at, at least you're not flaunting your, what your, you're not flaunting your breathtaking wealth to your neighbors. And, you know, sarcastically. And I'm like, you know, his house. He's not flaunting anything. He's showing off the the work of an incredible artist is what he's doing. And he gives the guy's name and tags him. Like, he's, <laughs> shut up, you know? <laughs> but, and then he's like, you know, he wouldn't be anything if without Brian De Palma. I'm like, what the, what are you talking about? So it's just, I don't know. I can't stand people who begrudge people like him what they've earned because, yes, he's rich, but he and his wife are both very philanthropic and it's his money. He can do whatever the fuck he wants with it. And if you didn't if you don't think he earned his place, then you're wrong because he spent the majority of his life working his ass off to get there. And he still works every day. Every day he sits down and he works all day, just like a regular person. And uh, like, he doesn't just lay around and do nothing. He's, he has a schedule and he's always done that. And then in order to get there, he was working multiple jobs, crappy jobs. He was, you know, he paid his dues. So just don't come at the man about his money. You know, he, he got the money he got because he's incredibly talented and he works his ass off. There are a lot of talented people out there who don't do shit and they don't reach that level of success you know, because it takes a lot of discipline and that's what a lot of people don't have. And then if you don't have it, then you get pissy because somebody else earned it. Well, I'm sorry. Some people don't earn it. He did. So anyway, that's what I was beefing about. <laughs> sorry. I will say this. I'm not saying the guy's right or anything, but if Carrie the movie did not happen, I don't think he'd be as successful as he is today. It was a real jumping off point, I think. Well, Salem's Lot was popular too. Yeah, but I don't, I don't love that film like you love that film. <laughs> no, I mean, and I don't, I don't, I don't know that Salem's Lot, the film, would have happened if Carrie hadn't happened. Yeah. But oh, the, the book, book yes. would have, and you know. I don't know. I don't think that that means that Brian De Palma no, made him. No, no, not yeah. at all. No, the source material came from somewhere else, obviously. You know, and it's just it. That's like saying that Steven Spielberg owes all his success to John Williams. You know, and I, I while I believe that John Williams, his input helped. You know, it certainly didn't hurt. Their collaborations together are incredible. I'm not going to say that if another composer had been there, it wouldn't have been just as good. You know, if you get a Jerry Goldsmith in there, uh, you know, he is incredible. He could have or an Alan Silvestri. They're incredible. They could have done something different, but it would still be fucking quality. I guarantee you that. So 
I think he could have made it without him. It just, but a lot of people think that, you know, that if it wasn't for that score, then nothing would have happened. But I think that the score could have been different, but equally good. Yeah. We don't know that because no one's ever done it, you know, but, you know, so, I mean, like everything is a collaboration that's true, but I don't think that that being the case diminishes someone's right to their success. Um, anyway, there's that. Plus, I mean, billions of people have bought his books. Yes. Those are the, that's the reason he's rich. So blame them if you don't like it. I don't know. And why are you on his Twitter feed? Get the fuck off. (laughs) 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 Who are these people that follow it, that purposely follow people they hate? I don't get that. I don't understand it. I like, that's why, why would you do that? I've been fun watching people's Instagram Instagram uh, accounts, celebrities, a lot of supernatural actors that are on the show, and they're fun huh. to watch. But um, I don't. I watch I, celebrities, but the ones I like. I like if I don't uh, like you, I don't care what you have to say. I don't hate follow people though. No, I don't. I don't no, do that. I just think that's a waste of time, and all it does is make you angry, and make other people angry with you. Of course, I guess you know if you like trolling, then that's a good way to do it. But whoa, whoa, whoa. I just. Would I love to follow the Kardashians and see how fucking pointless and stupid they are? Sure. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste my time though. You know? It's uh yeah. Philanthropy, whatever. Oh, I'm gonna Jamie Salmon something here. And um <clears throat> it's not something I watch, it's something I listen to. I listen to um this is not a this is a sponsored podcast, but very dirty word to some people, but inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum, it's 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 small village agency. He had uh, Bob Odenkirk on his show as an interview, it's like an hour and a half long. It's pretty good. So, if you guys haven't listened to that show yet, uh, check out Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum and the Bob Odenkirk interview for, from Better Call Saul and Mr. Show and comedy writer for Eons and Eons. It's good shit. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, my beef is with Disney, well, Disney Plus in general, they did it, they're doing this thing where they're putting. Oh, the butt covering. Well, it's not just that, because they're doing this with a lot of their films. They're doing this. They did this with Adventures of Babysitting too, in which they cut out they cut out like lines like you know don't fuck with a babysitter and you know stuff like that. Which I get it. You have kids. Disney Plus is supposed to be a family thing, but you are adjacent to to Hulu. You you have you have Hulu in your back pocket. So why not dump the uncensored versions on Hulu instead of making big press releases? Like, you know what we did with Daryl Hannah and that butt scene and splash. <laughs> we need digital hair to cover her butt so we don't offend children, you know? You know, and well, we were kids when we watched those movies, so... Yeah, we weren't offended. I mean, no, it's like Judge Marilyn Millian said <laughs> from the People's Court. Oh, from the People's Court, I we knew, are, yes. Yeah, we are infantilizing an entire generation. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like we were exposed to all these things. It's like when people say that Monster Squad is too there. They don't know if it's too scary for their kids. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I, wa- I watched Mon- Let me tell you, I don't know if I told this story before. I watched Monster Squad with my cousin's four year old son and he, he, he handled it pretty well. But all there was was questions like does Dracula need a driver's license? And w- what else was it? Oh, there's the scene you're going to kick out of this, Jamie. Where where the Wolfman's uh, claw feet are coming out of the shoes, and uh-huh. he he was concerned about if his shoes were going to be okay. 
<laughs> questions like this out of a four-year-old while watching this. It's like, don't drag with the driver's license. He's a bad man. He doesn't need a license. And this, is, this was a question. And, you know, little kids don't see things the way grown people do. That this is the point of this conference, this exchange right here. That four-year-old Austin Michael didn't give a fuck if they made, like, a little gay slur at the beginning of the movie or talked about a young girl as a virgin or older girl as a virgin. He cared if the Wolfman's shoes were going to be okay. That's all he cared about. <laughs> you know? So little kids don't give a shit about that. And fucking, neither will your, your adolescents for seeing Daryl Hannah's butt for, 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 for five seconds. You know? Just stop it. You know? Small stuff. And why wouldn't you want them to see it? Well, well that's beyond the point. <laughs> It should still be there, you know, but it's, it's, I love, I've seen Splash in years, and I would love to do that one day, it's just, um, I, I've been, I've been trying to compile, you know, essentials that we haven't done yet, and then pair them up with something not so obvious, and, um, it's working out, sort of, but, um, (laughs) that's beyond the point, too, but yeah, censorship sucks, I've had a problem with it for a very long time. Since I, I heard that those U, those cheap flicks folks in Utah were just cutting films and selling them to the, to the Bible Belt, the Bible Thumpers and the, the Mormons, and I didn't like it then either, I don't like it now. So, it's just, if you're going to censor it, at least make the other version, the, the regular ver- theatrical version, available on, on Hulu that you have in your back pocket. And they haven't done this yet, so... Um, I'm gonna keep buying digital because I might cancel my Disney Plus subscription for this reason. Just, just get rid of it. I, I, I don't like it for that reason. And uh, yeah, it's bullshit. That's 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 my beef with the censorship. You know, not a fan. Get <laughs> <laughs> it. Keep keep it light, keep it right. You know. But uh, tonight we're gonna talk about uh, two films. Um. Sorry, Suzanne could not be here tonight because I'm sure she'd have a great time talking about these. Um, in which uh, there are two sentient vehicles who are terrorizing one person or a bunch of people in uh, one of our our films case. We're doing the car, and with uh, James Brolin making an appearance oh so soon again. I don't care. It's it's fine. Um, <laughs> in Duel, uh, Steven Spielberg's very first. Uh, Foray, I think it's his first film. It might be. Yes. Okay. TV movie, so Jamie be right at home with with Duel here, so you're ready for that. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) I think we'll talk about Duel first, and we'll do that right after the trailer. From 1971, um, your cheapo plot synopsis is this. A business commuter is pursued and terrorized by the malevolent driver of a massive tractor trailer, which you see an arm, so spoilers, it's not that sentient. And a leg. And a leg. Uh, <laughs> kicking tires, yo. The stars, um... I watched a lot of Gunsmoke as a kid, and Dennis Weaver's in this film as your, your main driver, David Mann. And uh, you don't see a whole lot of people for a long time besides him in a truck 
and an arm and a leg, like they said. But this is directed by Steven Spielberg, written and uh, from his story, and he wrote the screenplay. Richard Matheson wrote this. This was a TV movie, so this is right where Jamie lives. So I'm gonna let her kick this off. What do you think about it, Jamie? I knowed it. I knew it was coming. Uh, well, all right. This I, this is probably my all-time favorite. If it may not be the all-time favorite, but I'd have to do some serious thinking about that. But it is. I mean, it, it's a good contender uh, for my TV show and or TV show TV movies and. People by now should probably know that I absolutely adore TV movies, particularly those from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and early 80s, mostly. But this one is also the beginning of Steven Spielberg's career, which if you watch this film, you can see, or his film career, if you watch this film, then you can see where his genius comes in. There are some amazing shots, just incredible. Like We start out in the driveway, and the camera is mounted to the front of the car. So you're seeing where he's going. He backs out of the driveway. He's driving down the street. He drives out and he ends up in the desert. And so we're following him and he's just listening to the radio while we're doing this and the credits are on. And it's those yellow credits. Oh, my God. That makes me so happy. I, uh, it's just the aesthetic of this. It looks phenomenal. And Dennis Weaver is basically this everyday guy who uh, gets – he's traveling. He's going on a business trip, driving through the desert. And he just gets accosted by this truck out of nowhere. The interesting thing, though, and something no one ever talks about when they I or at least I've never heard anyone talk about when they mention this movie is the little bits of character development that we get about him stemming solely from a single phone call to his wife and from some things he's listening to on the radio. There's this whole background noise going on where this guy is calling about the census and he's making this joke about how he's not really the head of the household. But if he tells this, the census that he's head of the household, will anybody ever find out the truth? I mean, it's like yeah, a joke call. That was funny. <laughs> yeah. And then later on, Dennis Weaver makes a comment when he's getting out of the car to gas station. And the guy's like, you know, hey, dude, you're, you know, hey, buddy, you're the boss. And he's like, not in my house. I'm not. As he's getting out of the car and then he gets out of the car and calls his wife. And what we find out there is that basically the idea is he's pretty spineless, you know, and not just when it comes to his wife, but apparently they were at a party the night before and some guy molested her and she wished that he had done something about it, but he didn't say a word. So we get we know right then from just that one scene, plus those two, a couple of other little tidbits that were just kind of background noise. We know that we're dealing with a guy who is a pushover. He doesn't stand up for himself. He doesn't fight for himself or anyone else for that matter. And he's he's pretty much a coward. So we have to watch him deal with this guy who comes out of nowhere in this big, huge, just old, dirty truck with this horn that is so just invasive. It's just wah, wah. I mean, it's oh, my God, it's awful. And the guy is trying to kill him. He's trying to run him off the road. And several times he does run him off the road. And then you have to see the Dennis Weaver character, David Mann, by the way, which, oh, my God, could you be any more on the nose? But I love it. We have to watch him interact with other people who they don't see what's happening when these guys are mano a mano on the road by themselves. Um Playing Canis Mas Macho. They they only Oh, you're making me all <laughs> <laughs> They're only 
they only see his reaction and then they think he's crazy. So it's oh, the whole thing. It's so the tension just builds and builds and builds. And uh, then even at the end, when we get to the end, there is this one shot as we're as the movie is ending. That is this incredible, just gorgeous silhouette of Dennis Weaver. He has dropped to his knees on the desert ground. And you can see the sun setting behind him and everything is just red and he's perfectly in the middle of the frame. And it is so gorgeous that I'm just it's breathtaking for a TV movie, just like a little TV movie that didn't cost anything. But, it, you know, it's uh, it's so better than you would expect. It's like it's no sci fi movie. That's for damn sure. Uh, and then he reuses the sound. Well, this is prior to Jaws. So he used. The an old dinosaur sound to make that roar as the truck goes over the edge at the end, which then, if you've never seen the movie before, you would recognize it from Jaws when the shark explodes and is and is like sinking into the ocean. It's the same sound. And that is just really cool because it tells you right there, if you are familiar with both of those films, it tells you right there how Steven Spielberg portrays the monster or how he sees, even if it's an inanimate object, it still he can still personify it. And I don't know, I, it just really gets to me. And I remember the first time I showed it to a friend of mine and she she didn't know anything about it. But we started watching it. And by the time it got to the climax of this film, she was like on the edge of the couch and she just had her hands up to her face and she was so into it. And that just I love that. I, I just wow. So. This film has so much to it, even though it doesn't seem to, because there's not really a lot of dialogue. You spend a lot of time with Dennis Weaver in the car by himself reacting, and he does some inner dialogue, but he doesn't really talk to that many people. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of the film goes by, and it's nothing but the sounds of the, the, the roars of engines. And we don't know anything about this guy. We don't know his motive. We don't know what he's doing. Does he do this all the time? Is this something he does for kicks? Is, is he like... Um, rusty nail, you know. From there's, there's a bit in the trivia that explains why he has so many license. Well, it's a theory. I think it's a theory of why he has so many license plates on the front of the truck. Is that those are like his trophies? Those are his trophies. Yeah, yes. that's exactly where I got the idea when I made uh, when I made Secret Shopper. The killer in the or the kidnapper. We don't really know what she's doing, but the the kidnapper in that film takes the stickers off the back of the car. And, you know, you see the collection on him on the back of her window as she's driving away. That's where I got the idea is the all of the license plates on the back of this truck. That always struck me. So when I made that movie, I purposely played into that because I always thought it was so just it's very subtle, but it's there. And you don't have to tell anyone anything. You just show that show it to them, and it it all kind of comes home. I just think it's brilliant. I absolutely love it. It is. I was trying to figure it out today, and I think it's probably my fourth favorite Steven Spielberg movie. Uh, there's Jaws and Jurassic Park and Indiana Jones, and I want to say this one comes right after that, just because I was watching it my whole life, and it means so much to me. I used to watch this movie. In the middle of the night by myself while everybody else was in bed when I was a kid and I would turn off all the lights. And this is one of those movies. There were a handful of them that I just it was a special thing for me whenever that movie came on. Tourist Trap was one. Uh, House of Usher was one. 
it's it's just you know you have those movies that are really special to you on an individual basis and this was one of those so i was all about watching this movie <laughs> to to talk about it apparently because i've been talking for a long time so i'm sorry that's fine it's all it's all good stuff iris what about you girl um so i mean really what can i say that jamie didn't say i'm sorry <laughs> no 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 you're good you're good um, you know, uh, you were saying how Spielberg, you know, the filming that he did and, and how well it was. One thing um, that I noticed at the very beginning of the was the use of mirrors. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. You know, he uses the mirrors during the shots. And for me, it builds up tension. And I think it's a wonderful way of building up tension because you see that tr- that huge, beautiful Peterbilt just coming at you, and uh, and he did it again in Jurassic Park. Yes, where, you know, yeah. you know it, it, when they're being chased. Oh, sorry, my throat's all messed up today. Um, so yeah, um, what else? Oh, and then of course, um, you never see really the driver. You see his boots. And then when he's in the cafe and he totally goes off on that one guy because he's got the same boots, but it's really not him. And he realizes right. that. And um, the guy's <clears> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm trying to eat my sandwich and drink my beer. Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. And then there's the the part where uh, the guy is. Oh, my God. Hold on. Let me drink something real quick. Sorry, Gary. All good. Um, yeah, then the part, um, yeah, the fight and everything, that's just great. And they throw them out. And one yeah. of my things, one of the things that I was thinking, I was like, are you going to pay for that fence? Yeah, well, when, <laughs> or that sandwich. He didn't pay for shit. Exactly, he didn't pay for anything. He just went running out of the the restaurant. Nobody stopped him. Of course, I guess after all that that just happened, are you even going to care about a friggin' sandwich, which at that time probably cost a buck and a quarter? if not 75 cents, you know, <laughs> like, exactly. so it's like, just let it go. But then, yeah, he just like moves the fence post and just psh, takes <laughs> off. And I'm like, what dude? You're like, There you go. But, um, just all the tension that's built now. Um, the first time I watched it, even this time, cause it had been a while that I've seen this movie. Um, when he finally falls asleep cause he thinks he's gotten rid of him. Yeah. Cause he hit around that bend. I for sure thought that it was going to be on the other side of that train. When the train was done, that right. the truck was going to be sitting there. Uh, but, you know, and that's the kind of tension that this movie builds up. Lynn and I were sitting there watching it, and it, I forgot how much I enjoyed this movie. And, and kind of like you, I have to say this. I mean, you've got, for me, it's Close Encounters, um, Jaws, uh, Indiana Jones. <laughs> And this movie's got to be in the top five for me, too, because I, you know, forgot how much I enjoyed this. It's fucking good. Like, right out of the gate. And he does not get the credit he deserves for this film. No, he does not. You know, I was like, was this his first? And it's like, no, there had to be something else. Like, oh. So I looked it up and I was like, yeah, that was his first. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. And then, of course, you're I mean, looking at the cars. Lynn and I were talking about the cars, too, because we're car aficionados. Of course, you know. Dude, oh, the Valiant. Oh my God! Yes, the Valiant with a. Do you know what other movie a Red Valiant played a part in? No, tell me. The Crush. 
<gasps> oh my God, that's right. Yeah, he had a Valiant and he got it all restored and everything. And then that little bitch <laughs> scratched cocksucker into the roof. I was like, ah. I haven't seen The Crush in years. I love that movie. I can revisit that. <laughs> but you just, just the vehicles themselves. I mean, you got the 281 and then the 351, I think, or the 318 for the Peterbilts. I mean, you know, there was two different trucks, but you really can't tell the difference unless you're really, really looking. Um, but, you know, it's just beautifully shot. And then, of course, you've got the Mojave Desert out there. And, I mean, you know, the way it starts out, you know, he's behind this truck and it's blowing all this smoke on you. And who wouldn't want to pass this guy up? And I think it was just that's exactly who he was waiting for. Mm-hmm. So he could start screwing with something. It's like, yeah, give me a reason. You know, yeah, the ones. Just, it's like when the 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 people are you know driving down the roads with their headlights off, just waiting for somebody to give me a reason. Yeah. Just flash those lights. You know, do something. Do something. Play into my game. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, and and that's exactly what happened. And, and I like how you said about um, you know him being uh, not a he, he, he basically a sissy. <laughs> because he, you're right he did not stand up for his wife uh, right she was pissed off and you're like well dude really he's like oh no no and not until you said something really I was like oh okay yeah that does make sense that's why it makes sense when he's like you know you know let's just cut it out okay I, I'm so right. I think this guy has been used used to being bullied and, uh, oh yeah, he just—he's a shrinking violet. You know, yeah, yeah. everybody gets away with everything. Like he even—he t- even tries to excuse the guy in his mind. You know, he's like, "Oh, I probably just irritated him when I, you know, went around him." Or, you know, and he's going to apologize at the guy. I'm sorry if I irritated earlier, you earlier. Let me buy you a beer. When no passing him in traffic does not give him the right to try to kill you on the side of the <laughs> road. I'm sorry. Right? I, I know. It's just. Uh, but he's the kind of person who he wants to avoid confrontation so badly that he will just give in, you know, and I get that. Like, I understand that attitude. It's just like, uh, I'm just going to, I'd rather not engage, you know? Exactly. And really, if you think about it, maybe that's why he left the house so early because he didn't want to engage with his wife, you know, face to face. But then he felt but, guilty. So he called her. <laughs> right. But you know, it's easier. <laughs> like, it, it's kind of like it's that anon- anonymity Oh yeah, it's easier to have a conversation over the phone like that instead of face to face, because then it's it's easier for either person to not have that. Oh gosh, she's getting defensive, or like, am I standing? You know, it, it's all this. So yeah, so it's obviously why he he did that. But yeah, yeah, this is one of my favorites also, and I'm I think that's pretty much it for me. Yay. Yeah, I think the character himself, you gotta kinda make him unlikable. And in in, in the in the the early goings of this the story, of course, because you, you have to you have to feel, you know, his peril, which is the tension builds up really fucking good in this fucking movie, you know, from the settings to the to camera angles to the stuff you don't see. See this this is what, what kids won't get now. This film would not work with a today's, you know, audience brain. And that's not, not not speaking for us, but speaking for the normal people who you know need everything explained to them. It's never explained to you why this truck is pursuing him. It just is. It just is. 
and you know, you, everybody would need that explained to them on a silver platter. You know why this truck is after me, yada yada yada. That's that's why Joyride works. You know, which yeah, I mean, oh, they, yeah, they give them a reason. Yeah, but it's to me the simplicity of this makes it that much better. Oh, it is. It's better than Joyride. He, it is since he doesn't have a motive that we're aware of. We don't know what he's trying, like what he's willing to do. Like we don't. You can't put your your brain can't put the parameters around the situation because you don't know anything about it. Like you can't form a hypothesis of what's going to happen or what he's going to be willing to do because you don't know anything about the guy. So that just makes it that much scarier because what the hell is he going to do? And yeah, and another thing was that we were discussing yesterday. I'm sorry, I'm pulling at Jamie. <laughs> Fine, good. <laughs> another thing was that we were discussing was hey. I don't. I, <laughs> I know, I, no, I know it, and I'm aware of it, and that makes me even <laughs> much more of a cunt. So I apologize. <laughs> oh God, no! <laughs> um, uh, oh, see, you said that word, and it totally threw me. Okay, so what we were discussing was you really—I don't know how you could remake this movie because that you have technology where you could call somebody, right? Yeah, he has his cell phone. You yeah, have the, a cell phone. The, the, the isolation is a big part of this movie. Exactly. It is. I think it's actually a character, if, mm-hmm. if you really think about it in this movie, is the isolation also. So, yeah, we were talking, could you really remake this movie? Nah, people got cell phones and all that other stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, and even, oh, and then, of course, when he plows through the, 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 phone, the phone booth. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, and again, she's like, that's the only phone I got. Who <laughs> moss makes? Um, but, Why would he do that? Why he break my cages? Oh my god, I love her. She, <laughs> she is so funny. But anyway, Amy, go ahead. Something. Is it Bailey? Maybe. I think that the, the Hitcher would make a fine double bill with this movie because, you know, you made 12 years later, obviously, so you need. In the 80s, you need, you need the villain to look at. And that was Rucker Hauer. Well, you had a villain in this movie, but you didn't see him at all. You just saw you saw a foot, you saw an arm hanging out the window to let you know that this is a man, or, or possibly who know who knows is behind the wheel of this thing. You never see his face, so it doesn't matter. But um, the the fact that he um <laughs> he he know I I love the point the point of the movie where he's at the gas station and then the guy tells him you know. You got a bad radiator hose, which, you know, people, you ever want to trade secret, you know, feel that radiator hose, if it's soft, it's bad, okay, people, you need to change that out, because you knew it was going to come into play, and it did, but then he used the knowledge that he had over this truck driver to know that we're going to go and do a, um, like a, like a, what do you call it, like a, like a low-lying area, where it's it's got a a slope to where, yeah, yeah. And he he's his car was obviously running out of coolant, and then the oil pressure light came on, so the black smoke coming out, so more more tension, more tension, more tension. Which I don't know how he started that car again. I'm not gonna bitch about the technological shit of this movie, which you know. At one point, he was chugging along at 15 miles per hour. Yes, he was, and it was bad. And it's and like, oh my god! There's no reason it. why that car should have started, but it did. It's a miracle car, apparently. I mean, like, do you feel like when you're watching that scene, do you feel yourself kind of pushing forward, like just pushing the car? Yes, like, you're go. leaning forward. Go, go. <laughs> as a, as a as a paper route driver, okay. I know that if you have no coolant in the car, it's not going to go very far. I don't give a fuck who you are. You know? 
<laughs> Especially the oil, too. But again, again, hey, it's a really shaky front end, too, but I'm not going to trip about that either. It just um, really, really handles poorly that, that Valiant. <laughs> and trust me, um, I've had some shitty cars in my time, and I have dealt with some crazy. I had this one, I had a BMW once. It was a 1983 BMW, and you could not turn left. Because every time you turned left, the car would shut off. <laughs> the fuck? So I had to go everywhere that I and only make right hand turns. That's really oh, fucking hard. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sometimes I would have no choice, and the car I would just have to let the car stall. And then what would happen is I would have to sit there until the smoke cleared, and then I could go. <laughs> like it was this whole process. It was so weird, but but yeah. Yeah, but, yeah but that that foreshadowing came in. Everything came in right on time, you know. When he when he just needed to to, to he's like, "Oh, you're you're not going to beat me out of straightaway." Remember he said, "And yeah, here goes your fucking radiator hose." That the the the, the young uh, Mexican gas attendant mentioned that you should change out. So because you didn't want to spend six dollars or something, you're fucked now. You're fucked so hard. If this was like that movie Magic Car, you know, but, you could uh, tell from his reaction that he yeah. just. Was the guy was he thought the guy was just saying it to be said like you know oh where have I heard that before you know like yeah bullshit uh huh you know but that that realization that that then that happened like yeah then that, we've all had them timing change breaks something happens to the car like man this is fucked and he knew he was fucked right there but then he has wits about him um it's just all the little stuff that the I think this they they mentioned that the the TV movie was only seventy four minutes long but they had to raise it up for a theatrical release, so, like, the stuff with the school kids was added, but then again, it just adds more tension to the film. Oh, God, I love that scene. When, you know, because, and the beauty of that to me is that he starts off by telling the kids to get off the, get off the hood, get off the hood, you're going to scratch the hood, you know, and then five minutes later, he is jumping on the hood with both feet to get yeah. that car from underneath <laughs> the bus, and to me, that right, that just conveys right there how frantic he is you know in, in just a span of a couple of minutes he went from don't sit on my hood to jumping on it like with all of his might well that's his hood you know come on now you know that just i just <laughs> wow you know it's little stuff like that and spielberg knows what he's doing and of course matheson does too so yeah you're not going to get a better a better writer than matheson for something like this so give him credit too but we get, we got to talk about the ending because the ending leads to him of course sacrificing apparently his his briefcase and his car to yeah, run this truck off a cliff and get home by 6 30 <laughs> hell no run run this fucking car off a fucking cliff and this to truck off a cliff and i guess the networks are bitching because the whole time this truck has a a trailer that's just flammable on i guess they wanted an explosion and they didn't get it but i i think that um the ending we got. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of symbols of this that this truck is no longer going to be a threat. And one of my favorite things is the oil dripping from the steering wheel, almost like it's bleeding. You know, it's 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 weird and real subtle, but it's there. Yeah. And I can appreciate and the, the simplicity. Fans still going. And the fans still going. Yeah, I can appreciate all the little little, little nuances in that thirty seconds of film. The wheel and, uh, turning. Yeah, it's, it's real good. And- this is what I don't get, though. Why did he pull the horn before he went over the side? It's, I mean, like, you actually watch him do it. It's not like we just hear the horn. You watch him. 
he releases the gear shift and grabs the horn and pulls on it like purposely. So who, what, what, was that just like a battle cry, like a one last, you know, hurrah, or just like a, I'm going out with a wah, wah. <laughs> I don't know. I tell you, you had to go out with a bang. Fuck you, one of the two. Yeah. You had to go, oh, had to go out with the, the yippee ki or whatever it is, uh, whatever <laughs> cowboy bullshit. And, well, I'll one see. thing I get, what thing I got to mention <laughs> How would he, let's say you know somebody's going to find him eventually? Obviously, eventually he has nothing, nothing, no communication with anybody. He's out there in the fucking middle of nowhere. Somebody's going to drive up to him eventually, and you'd hope it's going to be soon. How's he going to explain this to the insurance company, to the police? Well, this this man in this truck just just kept bugging me, man. I I don't know what the fuck happened. Well, he <laughs> did put a call into the police. Yeah, right before so, you ran over the damn uh, this phone booth. Well, yeah, yeah, so they didn't finish the call, but at least he did make a report. Like, they're going to have record that he did call about it. And then, of course, the woman saw it happen because uh, mm-hmm. they came and wrecked her cages. So she's at least a, a valuable witness. The people at the restaurant, they're useless. But the, the, the woman is a valuable witness, and then he did call the cops. So that's one good thing. And I'm wondering if maybe – the cops might be out looking for him now or something since he got cut off in the middle of the phone call, I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. And how about that old couple? They pissed me off. Jim! <laughs> well, and she's Amy, by the way. And I, I called the other woman Amy while I go her name, and that was, you pointed out to me, Lucille. But Amy was this woman, uh, her real name. And she <laughs> kills me because she's like, we don't want any trouble. And she won't even, all he's asking them to do is call the police when they get to the next phone, that is all he, he's not asking them to get out and help him. He's not asking them to like put on some brass knuckles and beat the shit out of the guy. All he wants them to do is call the police when they get to the next town and they won't do it. They're, like, in, cahoots, they're in cahoots with the driver. Come on now. Is, I'm like, uh, You're yeah. a bunch of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it for me, though. This is actually a first full time watch. I've only seen parts of it. And so really, is, yes. So first, uh, first full time watch of this movie for me, and I, I, I had a good time with it. But That's I'll uh, awesome. kick it back to Jamie and uh, anything else you'd like to say about it. When she gave one to ten, I can't imagine what there could possibly be to say about it. I think I have pretty much talked about every scene in the damn movie, uh, and I think people realize that uh, I pretty much love it. So it's honestly a straight up ten out of ten for me. Cool, Iris. Um, I'd have to go for the same. I'm going to have to give this a 10 because it just, like I said, it, it builds tension beautifully. The shots are amazing. Um, just everything in this just works for me. So I'm going to give it a 10. Yay. Yeah, it's, it's as the man said, keep it simple, stupid. And the simplicity is king in this film. And it may not work for some people, but it works for all of us. And I'm, I'm going to give it, well, you know, I'm going to watch it again. So I'm, for now, I'm going to give it an 8. And then on further watches, I'm sure I will catch more things and give it a higher rating. So, An 8 is perfectly respectable. That's to, to be fair rating. So, <laughs> But um, after the trailer, we're going to discuss the car. The, 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 the Devil Car from 1977, I think it is. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, here's the trailer. has visited the earth in many forms. Now it returns as the car. 
was no driver in the car. A car possessed. I know why he didn't go into the cemetery. The ground was hallowed. From 1977. Uh, your cheap plot synopsis is this: a small desert town is terrorized by a powerful, seemingly possessed car, and the local sheriff may be the only one who can stop it. Uh, sheriff in question is James Brolin. Um, Kathleen Lloyd plays Lauren, his 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 lady or whatever she is to him. Uh, John Marley is Everett. R.G. Armstrong is Amos. We got some other folks in this movie, too. Kim Richards and Kyle Richards show up in this movie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Eddie Little Sky has, has a really un- unfavorable picture in his, in his, in his IMDb thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this is directed by a director called Elliot Silverstein, who apparently directed one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes ever, which is The Obsolete Man, um, a man called Horse, and... Um, <laughs> Ensemble cowboy musical Cat Baloo is is among his credits, but it is a fun one. Ronnie Cox, I, I, it, why is he? In, I hate IMDb so much. Ronnie Cox is in this movie as yeah. our relig, as our religious exposition, <laughs> you know. Slash slash seasonal alcoholic. I'm gonna kick it to Iris first because that'll lead on shit. What do you think of the car, babe? Oh God, this is another fun movie. Um. We watched this one too, and um, gosh, I forgot uh, the this this movie. Okay, like it has some tension, but that tension is mostly the sound and the visual effects that, and, and not like effects effects, but just the dust. You see, like the very beginning of the movie, you see this huge dust cloud coming, and these two kids, you know, on bikes, and you're like, oh, I know what's happening here. <laughs> um. Uh, the kills in this are great. I do enjoy it, especially the guy with the trum- the, the French horn. <laughs> Went over him a couple of times. Um, but um, I think something that I really paid attention to this time that I didn't last time um, was the old Indian woman. And she's talking, and she's she's saying, you know, there's a bad, you know, 
she says a whole slew of something in Navajo, and uh, uh, Dense says, um, you know, she's old, old Indian stuff. She's like, no, tell me everything he said. She said, and he, the guy says, well, she's moving to the back country because, you know, there's a bad wind coming. And uh, I had never paid attention to that in my prior watchings, but I started thinking about bad wind. The Navajo, the wind for them is holy, so I don't think it would ever be bad. But then I started thinking about the whole Navajo mythology and how coyote comes in with the holy wind and creation and all that, the trickster. And then I'm like, is the car just a modern and technical manifestation of a skinwalker? So I started watching the movie with that thought, and it completely changed it for me in, in some ways. Uh, thinking that uh, the car is just a skinwalker, you know, somebody, some, a, a basically a witch doctor or a shaman, or an evil shaman that could change himself into a car. <laughs> so that, that, I don't know. I, I had transformers in my head after that, but um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, a lot of this movie is is fun, and of course, at the end when they're at the, you know, they're, they're setting up all the dynamite and all this stuff, and the car goes boom. And okay, so like this is from 1974, 75. So I'm not gonna be spoiling that for anyone. Uh, then at the end of the movie, you hear that and you see those wheels, and it's in the city. So I was like, oh, now it's going to... I wish they would have made another one of the car in the city because I think it would have been kind of interesting to see. But, um, yeah, they didn't. But here's a little trivia for you, Jamie. Um, you see the car at the very end and it's rounding and it looks like um, a building. It's a white building. And it has kind of like... It, it's up on up on a, on a, on a square box. Did you see that building at the at the end? Uh, yes. Okay. So, do you know what's across the street from that building? No. The church from uh, the Prince of Darkness. Oh wow! Yeah. So. Um, oh, Brian will love that. I'll have to tell him. If you watch the movie The Prince of Darkness, um, you will see that building. It's right across the street from it. So, just a little trivia. <laughs> but, Very cool. But anyway, so yeah, no, the movie in itself is is it's lots of fun, and and I like how it's not it it kills people that you know are going to die. But then there's the girlfriend, and I mean she's kind of like a protagonist in it, and you really didn't think she was going to die, but she does. Yeah, that was so, shitty. Yeah, that, she calls she calls that she calls that demon car a horse's ass though. So yeah, she's well, got to go. Know. She you know. she cursed at it right so she had to go which is another reason why what would you know was tying into the skinwalker but anyway that's just my goofy little thoughts and of course you got the little girls and uh the oldest um i can't remember her the little one's name but um she's one of the the kids in witch mountain which i used to love from the disney scenes but anyway yeah my brain is all over the place today but also, you know, Glen Canyon, Utah, St. George, all those places, 
beautiful places. And again, you've got that dirt and all that. It's just, it's just an awesome movie. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Jamie. <laughs> this movie is, it's fantastic. I mean, Roland is great in this. The deaths are really cool. I just, I love the getting, people getting plowed down. I, we do have the one interesting character with the arc where he starts out as this really awful wife beater and then he's part of the team in the end that he becomes a hero he's a, he's a real piece of shit you know? I know it's a, yeah. but so I have difficulty knowing how much of a piece of shit he is I have difficulty like wanting him to to do well like I don't know it just it I'm like oh you're such a jerk um so we'll keep this guy around. He knows about explosives, y'all. You know. But when he, I did, he was pissed off about the sheriff getting killed, which surprised me because he knew the sheriff was in love with his wife. But he actually got pissed off about it, so that was something. It was, uh, it's just, it's great. I mean, you get the scene with the car at the cemetery where it won't go on the consecrated ground, and you know. <laughs> I do kind of hate that it's like this big epiphany for her, like later in, or for the, for, I think it was Ronnie, Ronnie Cox that comes up with it later in the movie. Cause I think it's kind of obvious, but you know, okay, I get it. It's, um, the only thing is I told Brian after we watched it today and I love it. I've always loved it. I'm not, it, this doesn't take away from the film for me. I just think it's that a, an evil car is something oddly specific. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of weird. Why a car? Why these people? Why this little town just out of nowhere? And I don't need uh, like a background or anything, but it just, I'm just saying it's, it seems weird. And he's like, well, what about Christine? I'm like, Christine was born evil. We watched her get born. And she has a motive. You know, she kills the, everyone that dies at the wheels of Christine is for a reason. And this is just, he just comes out of nowhere and just starts killing people. And I don't, what is the end game here? But then we have the, the old woman who she's like, you know, yeah, we're, you know, we're getting the hell out because <laughs> something's coming on the wind. And, uh, which I do think is cool that every time the car shows up, the wind kicks up. That's ahead of time. That's creepy. The sound of the horn is creepy. The sound of the engine is creepy. When it goes flying through the house, that is just, wow. Um, Fucking pure comedy is what it is. The end, well, the end of the movie, the explosion at the end, and he's like, you know, Ronnie Cox is like, in the fire, we saw, and James Brolin is like, nope, it's over. (laughs) It looks looks like he who walks behind the rose, okay? That's exactly what I said. I said the exact same thing. And, but Brolin is like, nope, we're done. Like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to hear what you saw. I don't care. And I love that Kim and Kyle Richards are in this together. Um, from the two of my favorite Carpenter films, Kim was, of course, in uh, Precinct 13. And then Kyle Ice Cream Girl was in Halloween. Yes. Dude, shot I, the little girl in the chest. And that, that is my favorite scene in that movie. I, I want a vanilla twist. Well, fuck you very much. You know? <laughs> And I'm just like seriously, you're just gonna you're gonna go you're bother you're gonna bother going back for that. I would have said fuck it, but whatever. I I don't know. And I used to say I grew up with them. 
you know, and Iris, I'll bet you did too. Yep. They were, they were in Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> they were, and I mean, they were everywhere. And, you know, if you remember, she played in Little House on the Prairie, she played a little girl with like a club foot. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. And her dad wouldn't let her go out and play with anyone because he didn't want her to get hurt. So right. Charles ended up making shoes, like special shoes for her. It was actually one leg was shorter than the other. So he made special shoes for her. One of them had a lift so that she could play with the other kids. That was like this whole, that was the whole point of the episode. They were everywhere. So it was cool. And I would like escape from which or to which mountain. Yeah. Escape to which mountain, return to which mountain. I mean, everything. So it's like, I, I don't, I don't know. This is just one of those movies. It's not as dear to me as dual, not by a long shot. I didn't come into this until way later than I did dual, but it's still extremely enjoyable. And I love how in the seventies, you'll just have Satan out of nowhere. Just no reason in the world. Here's some devil. You know, <laughs> that's great. Right. Yeah, works, works so good. right there at the very beginning. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was the precursor to the Satanic Panic. So you know, right, right. I mean, it's great. Seventies and seventies is Satan. You gotta love that shit. Cool. Yeah, I, I made notes for this movie actually because I, I I saw a whole bunch of shit that you know belong but didn't belong. There's an exchange in this movie where. A Brolin's lays a teacher, and she's talking to the principal or something, and she has like no problems that little boys want to fuck her in a, in a conversation in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so awkward. Oh, they're just boys being boys, you know. It's just a, yeah, okay, you know. I, I wrote down that Ronnie Cox's little boys haircut makes Brolin look more more masculine. <laughs> oh, the scene. <laughs> But they're gonna have the parade for you know all things all things considered, and you know they're doing a massive Sousa march with horses and yada yada yada, and that car just starts going plowing through shit, and that seems really cool. And you know that Sousa parade m- must go on, much like the, the the beaches must stay open in Jaws. It's 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 a it's it's a lot of fun. Um. The horse is going crazy in that one that that scene. It, like the can the horse cam is fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, I don't man, understand what, what they were hoping to do with those horses. Like, what exactly are you hurting with the horse? It's a it's a car. It's not a cow. I don't. Mm. <laughs> what was it's your a de- goal? It, it's a it's a devil car too. You know. Yeah, it's <laughs> just uh, for no reason at all. Here's some devil. The, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot. Something to say, I forgot what it was. Go ahead. I don't remember, but damn. Oh, damn. Does anyone remember when Guillermo del Toro did the opener for The Simpsons? <sighs> briefly. This, this briefly. is a lot of years ago. Yeah, briefly. Well, I mean, not like thirty, yeah. but it was it was a few years ago. And so del Toro created the opening sequence for The Simpsons. The Symptoms. The Simpsons. And there was all of this horror film imagery in there, and it actually ended yes, yes, with yes, a yes, giant yes. Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. He had the bridge scene from the car animated in there. Nice. And just like kind of like in the background, because there's all this stuff going on. Like, it's just stuff everywhere. But if you've never seen that, I highly recommend that people Google, or actually you can go on YouTube and find it, the uh, Guillermo del Toro Simpsons credit scene or whatever. I don't know. Oh, I'm going to definitely do that. 
Uh, yeah, it's very cool. The scene uh, in which Brolin's lady hilariously gets her, the car plowed through a house and through her. There's a massive self-portrait of her man on the wall. I'm not <laughs> sure if she painted that or not, but it seems like a good waste of a self-portrait if it got destroyed. <laughs> she put a lot of time into that thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what else? Oh, the car at some point in time crashes into a mountain and shakes it because it's got a devil car, I guess. It's got that kind of power because I, I think uh, our hero, our, our sheriff, is trying to climb the mountain to get up, get up on top of the hill and... The thing is ramming into this this mountain, just shaking and knocking the rubble off of it, and that's that's some good body work right there. Um, speaking of body work, I got to mention because I haven't mentioned yet that um, this this was a a, a, mod, a modified car. I forget what kind of car it was, but it was uh, remodeled by one George Barris who gave us the Batmobile and the Monkey Mobile and. The Munsters vehicles and the Green Hornet car, so that's a piece of history for you. And um, he did many more custom cars, obviously, but those are those are the famous ones. And and this one too. Um, what else? RG Armstrong, explosive expert. Yeah, you need that in your life. <laughs> um, trying to think. Yeah, I, I love the French Horn kid too. There, Iris. I, I wish I spent more time with that kid, but he gets run over hilariously because he fucks with a drunken, you know, abusive R.G. Armstrong, and... That's what I love... You gotta love about this film is, yeah, they don't really... They don't really pull any punches with, you know, who's innocent and who's not innocent, because they're not killing R.G. Armstrong, who's a fucking prick, but they're, like, running over... He's running over cyclists, and he's running over the French horn kid, and he's gonna go kill children uh, in a parade, and... That's what I love about like nobody, no, nobody's like sitting. They're just like saying, "Hey, I'm I'm a, a sentient car, and I just want to fucking murder people." And you know, Ronnie Cox with his, his religious exposition hanging down from his neck, that cross because he, I'm guessing he found Jesus after he after he ceased to be an alcoholic. I'm guessing that's what's going on here. Um, great collection of mustaches in this movie all over the place, including Brolin's, who just just hangs, you know, like like fucking majestically. Like it wants to be a beard, but like, nope, I'm just going to hang down this low and say, fuck it. I love it so much. Uh, great um, setting. Iris mentioned that the, the Utah settings used incredibly well in this movie, much like in Duel, but I forget what Duel, what Duel was filmed. I didn't look that up, but... Um, Mojave Desert. Both, Mojave Desert. Yeah, they, they, both these films use the settings very, very well. So that's uh, look real nice on a Blu-ray. So I know the car has a Blu-ray... I'm not so sure about Duel. I don't Duel has a DVD that I own. I got it in a five dollar bin at Walmart one day, and I want to say it has a commentary on it too, but um, I'm not sure. Anywho, um, great film, great devil car for no reason except to say hey. And I, I really like um your theory about the Skinwalkers, and I think that this director is still alive. It'd be interesting to to talk to them about <laughs> you know, your theories. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just a fun time, and if you can't get behind a good Devil Car movie, then, you know, I don't think it'd be friends, <laughs> say the absolute truth, it's just a lot of fun, car looks awesome, cast is awesome, it's absurd in parts, I mean, what more do you want with your 90 minutes, I, I don't know what else to say about this movie, 
So to kick it back to uh, Iris and uh, anything else you'd like to say about it, and when she give a one to ten? Um, I'm gonna give this a good eight point five. Um, it's entertaining. I love James Brolin. I love the characters. Uh, the car being one of them. Um, no, it's 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 a fun. <laughs> pardon, well, pun intended. It's a fun little ride. Cool, Jamie. I will go with an eight. Uh, it's really solid, really fun. It's silly at times, but that just makes it fun. And who doesn't love a good satanic car movie? <laughs> just, you know, you got to love those 70s devil movies. I feel like I've said that before. <laughs> Hell, I just found this movie that killed those is getting a Blu-ray. So oh, I, I, I man. Think... Killed dozer. <laughs> I, I think all bets are off here. <laughs> I think all bets are off. The kill, kill those is getting a Blu-ray. It's okay. fine, though. Occasionally, I'll come across, like, if I'm looking through old profile pictures. And Do you remember when everybody had the gay flag colors over the profile pictures? No. You know, like when like when wedding was approved. Okay. Like, oh, marriage, yes. When yes, marriage yes, was yes, approved. Yes, yes. So when it was like was a approved. The color wash over your, the rain. The rainbow mm-hmm. color wash over your yeah, picture. I remember getting a big deal. At yeah. The time, yeah, my profile picture at the time was the bulldozer from Killdozer. Yeah. So I have that profile picture in my thing. With, she, it's the bulldozer. Were you, that, with the, were you saying that, that Jamie approves gay automotive marriage? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm in support of gay bulldozers. It's, right. <laughs> it was, uh, it was just, it just happened to be my profile picture at the time. So I put the filter over it and now it just, when I go back and look at it, it just cracks me up every time. Your are your tailpipe or mine, baby. Come on now, you know, um, but Hey, I've always been a friend of the family. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Indeed. Fun, fun fucking movie. Nine out of 10. I mean, I, I recommend it to anybody, even, even your novice horror fan can find enjoyment out of this this crazy fucking movie from the seventies. Nine out of ten, I, I enjoy it. But um, when we come back to you, uh, we'll close up the show. Before that, you get to hear me and Court and Suzanne talk up some more Hellraiser sequels. Yeah. Next up on the sloppy second segment. All hell is about to break loose again. And this time, a battle between good and evil has a familiar face. Welcome to hell. Hellraiser Inferno. We're coming back, fifth time, sloppy seconds, Hellraiser Inferno, Court Syops is here, how you doing sir? I'm doing excellent, although we were talking about how some of this is starting to look like, you know, the grilled cheese or the moldy bread sandwich, and this isn't quite that, it's almost like a, a... penicillin culture where like it looks on the surface like this is going to be a really bad thing but once you start to dig in a little bit more you realize there's benefits to all that bacteria this is Anzi. how are you doing i'm doing fantastic glad to be back for more hellraiser 
I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you uh-huh. won't be soon, girl. Yes. You won't be soon. I know. Okay. Yeah, the plot synopsis to this one is a shady police detective becomes embroiled in a strange world of murder, sadism, and madness after being assigned a murder investigation against a madman known only as the Engineer. Uh, starting a guy who finally got the job from his connection to uh, the Nightbreed series, the World Nightbreed, Craig Sheffer, looking awful doughy in this film, Nicholas Tatar looking more doughy in this film, a uh, very bearded James Remar. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Doug Bradley back again as Pinhead and with a whole new crop. Osa and oh, this, this is directed by Scott Derrickson, who gave us some really great films. Um, Exorcism of, uh, of Emily Rose and uh, Sinister and even Doctor Strange, I'll say, is pretty great because, you know, somebody's got to direct all that craziness. And um, Right? Yeah. <laughs> um... This is the first of the direct-to-video sequels that made you go to Hollywood Video and say, Hey, it's Friday. There's a new Hellraiser film out. Oh, boy, let me grab that. So, I'm going to kick it to Suzanne first and ask her what she thought of Hellraiser Inferno. You know, I did not hate this movie, but I think that I still have this thing for Craig Sheffer. I actually went through and realized that I watched about 95% of the shit he was in, good and bad. So I might be a touch biased here, but I kind of liked seeing him in this role as this really skeevy detective who was just, he's a fucking scumbag. And just the way that he's just so misogynistic, his partner is trying to get him to, you know, maybe be a better man. And he goes ahead and tries to frame him for murder if he does not play along. And I, I don't know. I just, I like this one. I like the whole engineer thing and James Remar. Cause it, I saw him in the credits, but I didn't really recognize him right away with a beard, but he was fantastic as the shrink slash engineer spoiler. Uh-huh. And there's one thing I might correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first mention of the lament configuration? No, they actually name it in the fourth one because it's uh, Le Marchand is the one who makes it. But I mean, they call it Le Marchand's box in the uh, in the original novella. But they also say that it is the lament configuration designed by him. So I, I don't know if they just if this is the first one there where they outright say the name of it. But I feel like the last one was the first one where they outright call it the lament configuration as well. Yeah, I I remember it from the book. I didn't remember hearing it that was just i was just curious about that yeah i'm like i said i'm not a, i'm not a confident enough on that to say for sure because it's one of those things where those of us that are fans of this series uh would know that name anyway so like where it came from whether when we went back and read hellbound heart or if it was in one of the earlier films or not or, or you know if it hits by the fourth or at this point or what i don't know uh, yeah i was just kind of curious about that but, I mean, this one, as much as I like it, I have to admit, this just looks this looks super cheap. There's a couple of great effects in this, but it just comes off cheap. I did like the fact that there was less pinhead in here that just, you know, like I said, you have to open up. You have, you have to get into the story before Pinhead should even make an arrival. And they kept rushing him through in the last movie. But I, I just really like 
basically this guy watching him create his own hell. He has completely and totally been devoid of any self-control. He's, I mean, I know this is like your, your classic, you know, how many cardinal sins can you break? But I just, I found the story kind of, kind of interesting. And it was better than a lot of the sequels I've seen for Hellraiser. I really like this one. They had my favorite thing, the blood under the door. I have no idea why I like this. I just do. And there's the, the chubby girl who was the nurse at the nursing home that his parents were at. Did you recognize her from, uh, um, damn it, Last American Virgin? Oh, was it Rose? No, it was the chubby girl from Last American Virgin. Oh, okay. I, oh, the I, one where he, he got the scissors. Yeah, Rose. You should have for Rose. No, that Rose is the other girl. Never mind. Suzanne there? Hello? Yeah, I don't hear anything. Yeah, I heard Yeah, you. I can hear you now. <laughs> yeah, which girl was the last American version? Which one? Which one was it? All right, hold on. Um, she was the chubby girl, the one he tries to cut her bra off with the scissors. Yes. I apologize. I don't know. <sighs> it's okay. Continue. Oh, that was me. Yeah, we just lost her all together. Uh, I don't see her on Skype. All right, well, I'll kick it to you, and then she'll come back on. Go for it, Court. <laughs> Okay, uh, what's really interesting about the fifth one is they went back to the source material of the actual Hellbound Heart novella and tried to find new ways of telling Hellraiser tales and kind of exploring things and expanding upon that. Now, the hell that Craig Sheffer's character ends up navigating through is basically him having to deal with all of his past sins and everything like that, and it's very Catholic in the way that they do it, you know, where he's kind of like going through the various circles of hell but it also has a very Stephen King thing where the whole hell is repetition, where you get the sense that he's going to go through this for eternity. And sometimes he's going to remember that he's constantly going through it. And sometimes he's just going to wake up and think it's all a bad dream, which makes it that much worse. Calling Pinhead the engineer goes back to the original novella as well, because uh, the, the Pinhead character that we know now is um, part of the novella. He was like he had jeweled pins stuffed into his head or, or hammered into his head at those intersections of the, the cuts and everything of uh, the way that a lot of these specially made uh, Cenobites and the way that they look, that is more out of the actual novella as well. The way that they're described, especially the half Cenobites and then the ones that look a little bit closer to the chatterbox. So there's a lot of stuff in here. If you're a fan of the original novella that has a lot of little winks and nods and references to that original storytelling and the way that hell works in the Hellbound heart, that keeps this one interesting and actually kind of elevates it even now above four a little bit in my estimation. I like it a little bit more, but it does have this cheap repetitious thing going on. And this is the start of the cycle of let's take a script. Let's shove pinhead into it with a shoehorn and see if we can make it all work as a Hellraiser film. This one was done at least by somebody who gave enough of a fuck and was left alone enough to be able to just make the movie that they were going to make because he made it on the cheap. And it actually turned out pretty okay. And even though you can kind of tell someone was trying to remake Jacob's Ladder and shove Pinhead in there with storytelling, it still works and it's still very effective and it's still pretty cool. I don't think it was shoehorned at all. I mean, getting the way I feel about it, you know, it's the end that you get, you know, which it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of telegraphed, but it's not telegraphed at the same time. 
is that the engineer is somebody's been watching him the whole time and has been one step ahead of him the whole time because the whole point of him is he him knowing t- where all these where all these uh, murders, his premonitions, yada yada yada. So the whole gag of it is that he's the one that's doing all these things. Because why wouldn't you think so? He 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 goes to visit the guy in the ice cream truck, and he ends up brutally murdered. And uh, I'll agree with Suzanne. You know the the special effects you get, you know initially aren't very good, but the aftermath stuff I can't deny are some great gore effects, and it looks incredibly painful. And it's, it's it, of course like you should, you know. But in this one, you know, I'm, I, and, I, and I've defended that the, the very last horrors that came out, which we'll talk about, you know, less is more <laughs> with Pinhead in this movie, and it works so well. It's just like this this battered detective, you know, which like you said, this is this was a script belonging to somebody else that they made into a Hellraiser script, but they made it they made it work really well. I mean, if you like stuff like eight millimeter. Getting like the seedier sides of things, stuff like that. You get more of that in uh, another Hellraiser sequel we're going to discuss uh, a little later. Um, spoilers are doing four of these at once. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like that aspect of it. I, and I like Nicholas Turturro playing straight, if that means anything to you guys. He usually plays like the goofball in movies, and I like him playing a straight role in this movie. It's like the, the concern. You know, yet yet skeptical, yet my friend's fucking batshit crazy detective friend of his. You know, because he knows that he's been into some bad stuff, and he's a shitty family man because he sleeps around on his wife and does all this bad stuff. But you know what? He's still my partner, and I still gotta I still gotta stand by him. But the more and more the film goes on, of course, he loses that grip on what he knows is his friend, and starts to suspect his friends doing all these nasty, grisly things. But uh, the reveal at the end, although it looks really cheesy, James Remar, his therapist, is 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 the engineer. The engineer is Pinhead, the guy he's been searching for the whole time. And you find out, of course, this is his own personal hell, which will keep playing over and over and over and over again. You know, for all, for eons and eons and eons. So, really fine, you know, even... I forgot I mentioned <laughs> his unfaithfulness. But his his penchant for magic in this movie is fucking atrocious. Oh, I know. He's yeah. got he's got the two steel balls, you know, like he's fucking furious from Boys in the Hood. Just just you know, <laughs> he, does, he does the illusions and like yeah, I don't I don't need that in my life, you know. This snappy detective who does magic, whatever gets you pussy in the bar, man. Whatever gets you pussy in the bar, okay, Craig Sheffer. You know? <laughs> Oh, but he does that to amuse himself because he's this multi-layered genius who's just misunderstood. Yeah. But I'll say one thing, and you know, I, I like his character better in this. He was more believable in this than he was in Nightbreed. Okay, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a Nightbreed hater. I just don't see the point of all the bleep blops. Okay, Suzanne, we'll talk about this one day. Okay, I promise. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about this in great depth. Okay. You know? You got it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, the great performances from the actors that, that, that got to emote and act. You know, I forget who played... I don't know who played his uh, police captain, but he just kept getting more and more pissed off as, as every murder would happen. He played it pretty straight, too. I kind of like that. But yeah, great great gore... Great after-effect uh, gore effects. And the, the scene where he goes to visit his parents, I, I liked... 
particularly well because they were they were chewing some scenery there. I love when people chew scenery in films, and they were chewing it up. And um, I guess as I mentioned, the blood underneath the door—it's assumed they're dead. They don't see anything, but you know what? Again, less is more. You know, the the the, the way he emoted at that point worked for me. So, but um, that's as far as I'll go on this one. It's it's definitely a watch. I say check it out. You know, but um, court first. Uh, anything else? So what do you give it one, one to ten? Um, this one, like I said, it's a little bit more than just a bit above okay. So I'm going to give this like a full solid seven because watching it this this time around for the show and not just watching it for my own enjoyment, I picked out a lot more stuff that I, I, I got from rereading the, the Hellbound Heart not too long ago and really enjoyed like a, the way that those were just like the some of the Cenobites were described, how they were able to recreate that here and I mean, there's some genuine parts that made me really wince and not because it was just a bad movie, but because there was some stuff like with the the whipping with the fish hooks really kind of got to me. And I, I really yeah. kind of was like, like wincing to it. So it, it had a very visceral effect that I haven't had. I mean, not even Hellraiser three or four. Did I have that at all? Really? They were just basically here's Pinhead, watched Doug Bradley vamp. And this was peeled, like pulled back enough then. I mean, James Remar, every scene that he's in definitely elevates the film for me, so that's what brought it up to that seven. Because his beard does all the acting, man. That's all it is, you know. Oh, well, he he emotes so well with his eyes. I mean, he just owns the screen so he's well. He's good. And, and oh, I, just and the, the way he, his eyes hold the camera. Oh, yeah. my God. And he does a lot of really subtle micro-expressions where you see this... Uh, or at least I think I saw like this real sadistic glee and pleasure in some of the answers when Craig Sheffer's character is like lamenting what's happening to him and what's going on and like kind of admitting some of the stuff that's going on and how he feels. And then when he asks a question that's specifically loaded to cause Craig Sheffer's character pain, you can sort of see this little like micro expression of glee on his face before he then feigns that same concern, or at least that's what I thought I was detecting. Oh yeah. And I just really enjoyed the way James Remar was doing it. I mean, it's really sad that he had the troubles in his life that took him out of his acting career in his prime. But I'm so glad to see him in this day and age, like even as Dexter's dad and all the stuff that he's done in the later parts of his career, because he is so talented. He's such an amazing actor. And I'm just really glad that he got a chance to kind of get back in and, and just even showing up in roles like this. Yeah. Okay, real, real fun. Uh, Suzanne. Yeah, I love this. I, I, all my, my whole Bluetooth setup went fucking haywire there. Okay, it happens. So I apologize for that. Um, yeah, I really like this one. I, I, I'd like to see it without Pinhead, but I agree that the aftermath of that dude getting just shredded, that was so horrific to look at. And I seriously take my, hats off, my hat off to the person who did that. And the other thing, there was only one aftermath I just didn't care for when he was talking about Terry. And the architect's, I don't know, horror, girlfriend, whatever. And seeing her head there on the bed, that was the only thing that looked like a mannequin head to me. And I love the snowy living room with his wife and daughter just disintegrating before his eyes. That was another, just another just beautiful scene. I just thought that scene was so amazing to look at. But this one, for me, I just, I really like this one a lot. And I think I'm pro- I might go half a step up and go seven and a half on this just because there's a lot of it that I like. And it's I'm going to have to go back and reread The Hellbound Heart since I haven't read it in years. 
and then go give this movie another peek again. I think that extra half a star may be because you really like the way Craig Sheffer looked in all those nice fitting suits. Yeah, actually, it really, really, really did do something for me. <laughs> I mean, I can see that. I'm not even. In, I'm not even into dudes, and I'm like, man, I want on that moon face right now. <laughs> I know shots. But by the way, Suzanne, sixty-four episodes of One Tree Hill. You better get on that shit, okay? It's it's uh, mm-hmm. I just saw that he was in that. I had no idea. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to watch this now. I have waited <laughs> for fucking years. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, oh, daddy! As uh, one of our podcasters from would say, yeah. But um, I'm gonna kick it to, to myself, I guess, and say I had a much better time than I remember with this film. I remember not liking it very much at all because of the aspects of, hey, this is another script. Let's just throw Pinhead in. But it really worked this time around. It it, it helps when you, you keep a critical eye to these things. I think you're just watching it casually. You're gonna think, hey, this isn't the this isn't the the Hellraiser film that I remember, you know, because it's it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be, you know, a real small part of the film, but a real major arc of the film at the same time, and it works really well in that way. So I give it a seven as well, and, and a recommend. So go check out uh, Hellraiser Inferno over Bloodline at this point. Like we we haven't mentioned that we haven't found a copy of uh, that that work print yet so we may have a whole different feeling about the bloodline so we'll see you know. <laughs> but um it is like 25 minutes longer i just read though so yeah oh my gosh but yeah that's it for this one and as our buddy eric would once say we'll see you all again in part two that's another beef in the books y'all and uh so happy to be recording consistently with and talking to you guys and talking to my uh lovely co-hosts and um Iris, you got anything coming up, girl, at all? Uh, no, just just this, and uh, yeah, pretty much. Maybe another venture. We shall see. Okay, um, we'll be waiting with the with, with the open ears, if if you if you will. Um, <laughs> um, Jamie, what about you, girl? I uh, let's see. Oh, Wednesday, I'll have a new ooh lightning. Sorry. I am so excited right now for getting a storm. Hell yes. Uh, uh, the uh, episode 15 of Attack of the Colossal Collection will be coming out on Wednesday, as will, or maybe Thursday, depends on when Jason gets it out. Uh, Married with Children will be coming out Wednesday. At some point this week, the podcast Under the Stairs that I did, the Masters of the Wanover show that I did with Duncan and Bo will be coming out. And we are recording the Y episode, May 3rd, Brian, David, and uh, Dave and I. And that might be it, but hell, that's enough, I guess. Mary, I have been podcast. cranking out content constantly <laughs> lately. Is that correct? The Mary with Children podcast? Yes. Coming? Okay. <laughs> I don't get it wrong. I I'm actually on a podcast with Alex now, so there's a. I feel I feel so blessed. No, Alex. Alex is a good guy. Oh, he is, Always. and he is a phenomenal producer. He is incredible. Impeccable. Yeah, I told him I was like, yeah, but shit, my post post production with me is like I hope hope nothing went wrong with the show, so I could just clip the shit and get it out to you guys. Yeah, you know, it's it's a 
he he takes all the errors and the ums and adds stuff and yada yada yada. I do too, and it's a pain in the ass. But he does way more than I do, even. And it's I have always appreciated the amount of work that he puts into it. But he's a perfectionist, so. Oh my gosh, but yeah, um, me, this show, two Jake Minimum commentaries, Burning for Springwood, um, could all be found on LegionPodcast.com. You might have to. Go down the feed for Burning for Spring because I just left it in the seven B feed, so I had to bug bug Bo about bug Bo a bug 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 about uh my words all twisted tonight about making another feed. So look at the seven B feed for Burning for Springwood. That's our Freddy's nightmares, you know, debacle, if you will, implemented by by Mike Merriman, who apparently loves anthology TV, which is which is fine. Um, and also I'm on the NFW commentary show with uh, Nudie, Willis, Suzanne, TJ, whoever else joins us. But also I'm on another commentary show with Nudie as well with Alex Edwards called Hard to Kill Podcast, which is all action films. Um, Last one we did was what was it? Oh, Tango and Cash was the last one that we did, so that should be coming to you pretty soon. And I think um, I'm picking something. I'm going to do Shakedown. It's my pick next, and I think Shakedown, or Blue Jean Cop, is sometimes called. It's a Glickenhaus joint, so John Cross would be proud. Uh, starring Sam Elliott and um and, and Peter Weller. So I think that's what I want to do next. Be a lot of fun. Um, uh, support the Legion, um, relief fund or whatnot. Look for it, guys. Um, people are out of work, and uh, people are donating money to it, and. Much appreciated. I'm not out of work. You know, Jamie's working. Iris is working from home. But a lot of folks are not are not able to work, you know, because they're not essential, as they call it. So I'm going to try to give you guys a shout-out, you know, because we, we, we love all you guys, you know, all you essential workers, supposedly, and non-essential workers who we're hoping you guys are doing okay. And, uh... Just we can only make this show for you and send you guys love, and that's the best we could do for you. But I hope we hope that's enough for you. And um, yeah, that's about it for this one. And um, here at the Send Beef Podcast, if you've got beef, we've got the grinder. See you next time.